You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. We believe that the core values of our church is that we don't just exist to make a dent, but to make a difference. That's why our church will do what it does, because we're all about making a difference. And it doesn't just take a big church, it takes big people who understand koinonia, who understand that, yes, I've got a strong relationship with Jesus, but i got a strong relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds, but first, we hope you will stay connected with South Ridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. I need to ask a question, and it has to do with the seasons. And I need you to have a little bit of group participation here. So hopefully you're sitting close to somebody, because I want you to tell the closest person to you. I want you to have a little conversation with them in just a second, okay? Here's what I want the conversation to be about. I want you to ask the person or talk to the person next to you and ask them what is their favorite season. All right, so that's the question, okay? And I want both of you to talk, okay? Share with the other person what, their, what your favorite season is, okay? Ready and go. Share with them what is your favorite season, okay? Favorite season, favorite season. Take just a moment, talk it out. Favorite season, favorite season. Some of you are telling your favorite life story. It should be short. Your favorite season. All right. How many of you, you shared your favorite season? You did it. You did it. You finished. All right. Some of you are like, yes, my turn to talk. I'm just going to keep on going. Give me a mic, somebody. And uh, this is why we don't hand out mics. All right. So you talked about your favorite season. How many of you said football was your favorite season? Anybody just happened to throw that? Oh, nobody threw that one out. Okay, you guys kept it real literal, okay? So we all have a favorite season. Well, our life groups kind of operate in seasons. And so we are in the season of life groups. People are getting back into routines. They're getting back into school. Uh, classes for colleges starting up. Maybe you're taking, you work a full-time job, but yet you're picking up some extra classes. You're working on some things, developing things. And guess what? Online classes count. I know some people don't think those count, but if you're taking online classes, that also counts. And you're in that season. Maybe you're in a season and you're in retail and uh, you get hammered with Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter, and Fourth of July, all right now. They all just like, let's just sell them all right now, okay? It's just crazy. I went to Lowe's yesterday or Friday night, and I was there, and I was like, wow, they got a little bit of Thanksgiving, a little bit of Halloween, and they already got Christmas out, and it just kind of, they want to they just sell, sell, sell all that they can. But when it comes to this season, we're in a season that we call our life group season, because we want you as things get busier, not to create more for you to do, but we want to give you a community and put you around some people that can encourage you as life gets stressful, as things get busy. It's good to have a place in the middle of the week or maybe on the weekend where you just come with a group of people, kind of let your hair down, kind of talk about the week, talk about what's happening, and you can encourage one another to keep 
ongoing. And uh, so that's why we think it's so important with life groups, and we think it has a big value. Now, we're talking about football, and uh, uh, we have several different groups, okay? We have a men's group. We've got couples group. We've got uh, a Financial Peace University. That's a financial planning group. We also have a ladies' life group. That ladies' life group meets every other Thursday night. Men, you can thank us later that we put the ladies' group on football night, okay? And uh, so that was strategic, okay? The ladies are like, we want to be this night. We're like... Thursday night's real good. Not that you would distract us from watching TV at all in the least, but it just kind of improves our undivided attention because you know what it is. When dads watch their kids, that's super easy. You just throw a box of Lucky Charms in the bedroom, lock the door. They're fine, all right? Now, mom's like making sure they're really safe. Mom's really watched the kids. Dads were kind of like, as long as there's no blood, it was a good night, all right? No broken bones, no blood. I did a good job, okay? But when it comes to football, what I like about football is you have a lot of tackling. And sometimes it's fun to go on YouTube and watch some YouTube videos of some of the best hits in history where you just kind of see those quarterbacks just kind of get laid out. Now, sometimes you almost wonder if the quarterback insulted one of his own linemen because it almost seems like at times they just step back and let the guy right on through, right? Some of you know this. You're like, my NFL draft, man, it's falling apart because they're not holding up their defense or whatnot. And uh, what I've noticed is a lot of people like to hate on the Patriots. Any Patriots fans in the house? Any Patriots fans? Yes, I heard, I heard a little bit of booing down in the front, you know. But you can't deny Tom Brady has done a pretty good job, okay? Now, you can go back and, and talk about deflate gate and Belichick is a cheater and whatnot. We can go through all that. But one thing you have to give Tom Brady credit is the fact that that guy is amazing at being a quarterback. And I used to think, man, this is incredible. The guy's just untouchable. But then I realized something in an interview. Belichick, the coach, has trained his team to protect the quarterback. So they know it's their job to block and tackle so that a QB does not get hit. On average, most people only have a split second in the pocket. On average, Tom Brady has 2.5 seconds to throw that ball. And so it's a higher percentage. Why? Because the linemen are blocking and tackling. They're helping take the hits so he has more time to make a better pass, more time to lead the run, whatever he needs to do. Why? Because he's got people in his life blocking and tackling for him. And I love that illustration because it kind of reminds me of life groups. Because what it is, is sometimes you can have a community around you. Some people do. Maybe you have a community at work and they kind of block and tackle for you. I mean, there will be a problem come down, whether it's financial, maybe it's relational, or maybe it's at work. And they kind of just help you navigate through it. They're blocking and tackling for you. But sometimes you may be new to the Bay Area and you may have had to uproot your life from another part of the country. If you come to the Bay Area and you're saying, man, back home, I had people that blocked and tackled for me. If there was an emergency, somebody would come over and watch the kids, make a meal, clean my house. I mean, you just had that community, but maybe you've moved here, and all of a sudden you're saying, I don't, I don't have that community anymore. I don't have those people who are blocking and tackling for me so that I can continue and have an enjoyable life journey. And so that's what you're looking for, and life groups do that. But I love the fact that they do it in a 
Christian perspective. So while you're getting around other people and while you're talking about your week, they're saying, hey, here's a verse to encourage you. Hey, I was thinking about you and I'm praying for you. Hey, I just want you to know that I'm, I care about you. What can I do to support you? And that's what Christian life groups can do. And so we're going to talk about that today because I think it's important that everybody have somebody in their life that blocks and tackles for them because you have a not just a God-shaped hole in your heart, you have a people-shaped hole in your heart. You say, what do you mean? Genesis chapter number 2, the scripture talks about it is good for a man not to be alone. Now, many of us heard that verse. We said, oh, I know what that has to do with. That has to do with marriage. Yes, but Adam hadn't met Eve yet. And so God was like, hey, there's some things missing. The principle is you need other people in your life. You need that encouragement. You need people to help you. And so the goal of groups is not just an exchanging of ideas. Sometimes you think, oh, I just need to come to group because it'll be an exchanging of good ideas. Here's what I've learned. Ideas don't necessarily change my life. I know it's a good idea to eat healthy. I know that. But Ben and Jerry's was on sale the other day. All right? It just, I, I know the idea conceptually. But then practically, I need somebody to like slap my hand when I reach for the Ben and Jerry's, okay? So there, you need other people in your life. And it may be not so simple as Ben and Jerry's. It may be at your workplace, somebody's telling you, hey, sign off that you did that project even though you didn't just so you don't get yelled at by the boss. It could be that uh, you need somebody else in your life that says, hey, look, you're a married man, but you are getting really friendly with that new secretary. And you say, really, I need people like that? We need people like that because we all struggle at moments. We all have those weak moments where we need somebody else to come into our life. Because sometimes you say, well, what about the Holy Spirit? Isn't he involved? Absolutely. But sometimes he uses other people to speak into our lives. And he'll have people in your life that will encourage you and challenge you. The book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom. It was written by a man by the name of Solomon. And he wrote in Proverbs 17 that iron sharpens iron. But when iron hits, it kind of has some friction to it. And you and I, sometimes we don't always like that friction. So sometimes we'll avoid a group and we'll avoid accountability because we know what's going to happen. We know that there might be some people that may call us out on some things that we need to get called out on. Or we may not understand that, hey, this is going to help us get better. So I love this scripture. Hebrews chapter number 10, verse 25, it says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. There are some people, they knew to come to church this morning. They even set the alarm to. But all of a sudden, the bed and the comforter was real warm and real nice. So they didn't come. They, they neglected to come this morning, okay? Or they neglected to go to any church this morning. And it says, there are some people that do that. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. What is the writer saying? We don't know exactly who the writer of the book of Hebrews is. We have some speculation, but we don't know. But whoever he is was wise in saying that, hey, as you see that Jesus is soon returning, guess what? We should be in fellowship more and more, not less and less. It's a troubling statistic that uh, church attendance nationally is on the decline. The average person attends church 1.2 times a month. I never know how they get those statistics, 1.2, but it's, apparently it's at 1.2. And I can't tell you how many people I'll run into and say, oh, hey, pastor, I go to your church. I'm like, I don't know who you are. They're like, I came to Easter in the stadium. Oh, yeah, you go to our church. I never see you except for Christmas and Easter. They're CEO. You say, what do you mean? Christmas and Easter only, okay? Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what it is, you know. But guess what? We love them the same. 
We love them the same. What do we do? We encourage them. It says encourage one another. Hey, write this down. There are 59 one another's in the Bible. You say, what do you mean, one another? There's 59 one another's. What do you mean, one another's? There are 59 times that God says, love one another, serve one another, pray for one another, help one another, look out for one another, encourage one another. There's 59 times throughout Scripture that God says we're supposed to be doing the one another's. Here's the thing. The one another's was not something that Jesus just told for pastors and people that work on church staffs. He's talking directly to the body of Christ. He's saying, guess what? You can love one another. And yes, that includes my spouse. And yes, that includes my children. And yes, that includes the coworker I dislike. And yes, that includes the person that may, the relative that may bug the fire out of me. The one another's in scripture. We need to love one another, serve one another. Now here's my question. Where do we really get to do that? I mean, we, we've got our family. We can practice that. We've got our work. A light group is a great place to practice the one another's. And there's 59 of them where God wants to encourage us. So we're talking about life groups and encouraging. So, so where, where do we see the presence for this? Where is that real power behind the small groups? Where did this thing come from? And it came from the book of Acts. So if you have a copy of God's word, would you turn to the book of Acts with me this morning? Acts chapter number 2. This is the beginning of the church. I believe the church officially started in Matthew chapter number 16 where Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. That was where the idea conceptually of the church. But then we see that the church exploded and came on the scene. Acts chapter number 2, okay? So in Acts chapter number 2, we're going to do a brief Bible study and then I hope to preach at you just for a little bit, okay? And uh, so in Acts chapter number 2, it opens up with a little verse and it says, and they were all together in the upper room. The day of Pentecost was fully come and they were in the upper room. It says there was about 120 of them, okay? It's about 120 who were gathered, okay? A group about this size, 120, okay? So imagine a group this size are in an upper room and what do they do in that upper room? They're actually still not sure about what's supposed to happen next. They've been fasting and praying and they've been waiting for the Holy Spirit to come down and work. And notice what happens in verse 41. The Holy Spirit fills the room, and all of a sudden, Peter gets up to preach and proclaim Jesus, and he preaches, and in verse 41, it tells us what happened. It says, those who believe what Peter said when he preached were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. All right, let's do a little bit of math, okay? We started the day with how many? 120. We're ending the day with how many? 3,120. Look what God did in a single day. That's a lot of people, okay? That's a lot of people. It's kind of like what happened to us here on our first Easter that we came here. We, we, we ran about 120, and all of a sudden the next day we had about 3,300 people show up for Easter. That's what it felt like, okay? That's exactly what happened. Our church has lived through that. It's experienced that, okay? Notice verse 42. It says, and all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. If you have a, a Southridge pen underline that, word fellowship and to sharing in meals including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came upon them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. Each day the Lord added to their fellowship 
those who are being saved. All right, let's do a little bit more math. Just engage with me just for a little bit more. All right, we started the day, Pentecost, with 120. By the end of that day, we had another 3,000. So we have 3,120. But then the Bible says that they were added daily such as should be saved. So let's just say, hey, there was one a day. There's another 365 that are being saved. But we know later on, and I'm talking fast because i got a lot to cover. And, and we know later on, just a chapter later, we see that another 5,000 was added. What was happening? This church is growing what I would say is exponential growth, all right? Just exploding with growth. And then you come to chapter 5, and then the Sanhedrin is calling out Peter and says, Peter, you guys have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching. So in a matter of just a few days and weeks, what had happened? Jerusalem ran between two hundred to 250,000 people. Most scholars believe by the time uh, Acts chapter number 5 takes place, there's already 100,000 converts to Christianity. 100,000. Incredible. You say, how was that possible? How did they do that? And it's right there in our text that we're going to study this morning. And it's what I call the temple courts model. You say, what do you mean? They had corporate worship. They met in the temple. Now, they couldn't go into the temple where they offered sacrifices, but they were going to the temple courts. And so they would meet in the courts. It's a huge courtyard, kind of like what we have out here with the quad. They'd meet out there, and there'd be thousands of them meeting. But you know what? That wasn't enough. It wasn't just enough to come on Sunday morning. They needed a smaller cell group, something a little bit smaller. Now, your body and my body is built up of millions and billions of cells, right? And when the cells are healthy, the body is healthy. And when the cells aren't healthy guess what the body is not healthy so what they did is they not only did they have this temple courts model where they would all gather corporately they also had smaller groups where you could get to know one another you could encourage one another uh even in a church in our size not everybody knows everybody not everybody knows the name and knows the need and knows what's happening in your life. And, and it, quite frankly, it's even hard for me sometimes as a pastor to get to know all the needs and know all the names. But we work at it, right? And so they had a model. You say, what was the second part of their model? You see, first of all, it says they met in the temple in verse 46. And then it says they met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared meals with great joy and generosity. So you have the temple courts, and then you've got house to house. You see, you've got a large model, and you've got the small model, and their explosive growth happened because they had both. Our church says on Sunday mornings, hey, come and see, come and learn about Jesus, but then we say, hey, throughout the week, let's encourage one another to dive a little bit deeper into the word of God. Let's talk about the message. Hey, let's talk about what God's doing in our lives, and so there's got to be a time when we're practicing both of those. There's got to be the temple courts where we come and worship corporately, but then there's got to be that smaller group. You say, why is this so important? Because of a little word. It's mentioned twice in our passage. It's the word fellowship. Now, I grew up in church, so we used to always say, hey, let's go fellowship. But if you're, if, if you're not churched or church is new, guess what? That word fellowship is kind of just, you know, I mean, yeah, you may have heard of it. You're like fellowship. I've, I've heard of a fellowship. Sometimes when uh, people are uh, getting their degree in a medical field, they'll talk about, hey, I'm trying to earn a fellowship or something. Or, or maybe with education, they'll talk about fellowship. But then you hear it in the church, and you're like, what is fellowship? And it's kind of an odd word, isn't it? And my mind goes back to really bad potlucks. That's, that's what I go back to when it comes to fellowships. I grew up in the church, and there was just really bad potlucks. You say, what do you mean really bad potlucks? My dad was the pastor. And since my dad was the pastor, he would hold him and his 
his seven kids back behind to make sure there was enough food because he knew what we would do. We would just kind of come through like vultures and just clear off everything, okay? If there was a whole chicken, there was nothing left but the bones, okay? We would just, we just swarm through, okay? And uh, so he knew, so he, he would make us go last. So the only thing left over was the gross stuff. I mean, it was just the stuff that nobody else wanted. And guess what? We didn't want it, okay? It was nasty, all right? I don't know why you bring that thing to the church. Nobody wants that. That's not of God. Satan made that, you know? And uh, it just, it was one of those things. It did not look appetizing, didn't taste appetizing, but sure enough, my mother would say, it's good for you. And I'm like, can't things be good for me that look good and taste good? I mean, why, why does there have to be such a disconnect? And so we would always go through, and that's what I always had in my mind of fellowship. And maybe that's what you have in mind of fellowship. Or maybe when you hear the word and you're not from a church background, you hear the word fellowship and you think, oh, everybody goes to this little house, somebody's barefoot with a guitar and it's kind of more hippie and it's kind of like, hey, let's just all sing kumbaya and let's just kind of feel the spirit as I strum the guitar. I don't even know how to play the guitar, but I'm just, I'm just strumming the guitar and we just love Jesus. And you're like, that's, that's not me either. Like I wouldn't carve out time from that at all, you know. And so when we talk about fellowship, that's not at all what we're talking about. It's a Greek word. It's the word koinonia. Koinonia. Would you touch your neighbor and say that fun word? Koinonia. 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 You say, why? What's so powerful about that word? And we're going to dive into it because that word right there, if we get a hold of that word koinonia, that's the game changer. How did the church explode? Because they had koinonia. Now, koinonia is a nuanced word. It's a nuanced word. There's a lot to it. There's three components to koinonia, and we're going to go over it. First of all, I want you to see that koinonia, it's about a fuller connection. You see, how do we know it's about a fuller connection? The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter number 1, he said that I may know Christ and the fellowship of his suffering. Why would Paul pray that? Because it was about a deeper connection. What was he saying? I want a deeper connection with Christ. But they were saying this church had a deeper connection, not just with the vertical Jesus, but with one another. So when it comes to having connections and stronger connections, the church is only as strong as its weakest link, correct? And so if we're encouraging one another and we're building strong bonds, guess what? Then the church is stronger. Hey, you, you wouldn't fault a, a marriage relationship because they really work hard at being closer to each other. You wouldn't think that's odd. You would think that's a healthy thing. That's a good thing that the husband and wife really worked to, to take that bond and make it stronger and make it sturdier and spend time praying over it and, and working on it and setting goals to, to have a, a fuller connection. That's, that's a normal thing. The same is true with every church. Every church should seek to grow in a fuller connection with one another. You say, where do we get that? On a Sunday morning like today, it started very early for many of us. We get here, we set up, we try to, uh, to say hello to one another. But it's kind of a fast pace. We're moving afterwards. We're going to be moving, doing other stuff. So it's nice when people can come over and we can kind of fellowship. And it's powerful. And don't, I don't want you to just take my word for it. I want to share right now just a short little clip of two couples in our church that they shared just what it meant about koinonia and a fuller connection. So let's turn our attention towards the screen just for a moment, and let's watch this brief video. We're actually launching life groups today, and we just wanted to give the people some feedback in regards to your experience with life groups. So the first thing that everybody wants to know is, did you guys sign up for life groups for A, the food, B, for time alone, or B, just didn't want to see the kids? <laughs> we got none of that. It was Eugene, and uh, I think the first time they had brisket that he had yeah. smoked for like 12 brisket. hours or something crazy. Yeah. They set the bar pretty high. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so that was definitely the hook for you guys. Though. So it was like, well, we were going to join one, but 
but that was definitely a reason to go. If only we knew what that brisket was going to cost us. <laughs> I think. Well, when we first started going to soccer gender life groups, we were actually invited to the Custer's um, life groups uh, mm -hmm. at their place. So we didn't have kids then. So. Didn't have kids then? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Damn. So it wasn't so much for the food or anything, it was just to hang out? It was a lot of building bridges. So having done church before, did you guys have any expectations going into a life group? or? Was it something new you guys were experiencing? Well, we were brand new to Southbridge in general, and uh, I remember coming home from the first time we met with our group, how welcoming the group was. We didn't know anybody at all. We had no, uh, hadn't even met Eugene, the leader, and uh, everybody was extremely welcoming, and they were doing a topic that was really relevant to us. Um, how did the life group impact your marriage and your children? I think it was pretty good, great, um, just like, because uh, so many kids were like, Know what we're doing. I mean, I mean, I've babysat before, but it's totally different. We have our own kids. Eugene's an only child, so like, he has no idea like <laughs> what kids are like, I guess. And uh, and it's just nice to have people um, praying for us because uh, we had a little bit of a baby early, and I had some health complications. And it's just just having them like love on us, and then even just like the care after, like uh, setting up meals and everything. Um, it just helped a lot, um, and just being able to share some like fears, prayer requests, because it's not easy going from, you know, having children, like, especially when you don't know what you're doing, or you're sleep deprived. And, right, right. Yeah, you're just clueless. <laughs> I had a child from work in that period of time, too, so. So this was your first time plugging into Southridge, and yeah. it was yeah. just all through the live groups. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Next, was there, was there any apprehension that you guys had going in? No, I mean, we've been going to church for years, and we had just moved to the area, and we had church shopped a little bit, but um, when we came, and then we were just so welcomed, and just, like, then seeing those people, like, the next Sunday, then you just felt like you had a place. Nice. Yeah, it was more than just the meet and greet on Sunday. We got to know a little bit about their families and their backgrounds and the things that they were going through, and we were going through the same thing. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for making time out of your day. It was certainly fun, and I really appreciate you guys, so thank you. And if you guys want to see them, and myself will be out there after service, and we'll leave it with Pastor Mercaya. So when it comes to life groups, there is a deeper connection that can happen between not only just the couples, but the people they interact with. And it's a very healthy connection. It's very, it's very healthy in the sense of when you're going through a crisis or when something happens to know that, hey, I've got some others aside from my family that will be there to support and pray and care for one another. But what often happens is that we find that there's an enemy to koinonia. You say, what's that? The enemy to koinonia is isolation. Sometimes we choose to go through life and we just kind of isolate ourselves. And when we do that, what happens? We're robbing ourselves of the opportunity uh, that community will bring, that good, healthy community. Now, when it comes to the way normal people do community and the way the church does community, there's a huge disconnect. You say, what do you mean? For us, we're very strict, st uh, structured about community, okay? When somebody that doesn't go to church says, hey, you want to hang out and kind of have community? I mean, uh, you ever thought about that, the word community? Like, where does, for the people that don't go to church, where do you think community happens? You just shout out something to me. Where do you think community happens? Everybody always says bars, whatever reason. Like, you know, there are people that don't go to church that also don't drink, but that's a normal place, right? Okay, there's bars. Anybody else? Where's another place? Starbucks, golf course, sporting events, gym. Yes, thank you, thank you. Yes, the healthy people, there we go. And uh, there's, there's all kinds of places where community happens, right? 
But sometimes what happens is in the church world, we kind of throw it in the most awkward of places. We're like, oh, no, no, no. We want to do it this time and this time. You're like, that really doesn't work. And so here's what I want you to understand. When it comes to community, that fuller connection, it's not about the size of the group. Honestly, Jesus had multiple different crowd sizes. Think about it. He had 12 apostles, but then he also had a group of three. And then he had the closest apostle, which was John. That was one. So his group kept, kept getting smaller. So having a small group is great. Having a group that you meet with is great. But sometimes you say, hey, I'm going to get smaller and smaller with my group. And don't just limit it that, oh, community only happens at this life group at this point. No, they're, they're, when it comes to life group, we want it to be something organic. We want it to be a real connection. We don't want you to just feel like, oh, man, we got to pressure you into this. But this is just a little bit of a structure in doing it. But life happens at all different points, okay? You may be uh, one that says, hey, yes, I'm going to go to the golf course, and I'm going to take a group of people, and that's going to be my life group. And guess what? That's a life group. You may be one that says, hey, I'm going to start a, uh, a club, and we're going to meet online, and that's, that's going to be a life group. And guess what? That's a life group. It's those people that help block and tackle for you. It may be at the gym. It may be at a bar. It may be at a restaurant. It may be at a Starbucks. It could be anywhere where you say, hey, I'm going to find this Christian community, and I'm going to find a group of people that, guess what, they help block and tackle for me. Because you're going to go through stuff, even if you're married with children, you're single, you're an entrepreneur, you're a business owner, you're a manager, you're going to go through things, and guess what? It's the people around you that are going to help you get through it. It's going to be the people around you. I know that you have a relationship with God and you're praying, but it's those people you have around you in your life that they're going to help you. There's an Old Testament story about a man by the name of Moses, and Moses had two people that held up his arms. They were Aaron and her, and they held up the arms of Moses so that he could continue to help praying for the people so that they would win the battle. You need those people that are lifting up your arms. As a mother with young kids, you, you need somebody to lift up your arms because your arms are tired from carrying those little ones. And so you need somebody to lift your arms, and you need somebody to lift your arms in prayer, to lift your arms and say, hey, you're doing a better job than you think. So Koinonia is about fuller connection. Not only is it about fuller connection, it's about broader compassion. You say, what do you mean broader compassion? In the passage we read, did you catch it? It said that they were giving, that there was no need among them because they were those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. There, there was no need. You say, what happened? Because Koinonia, this fellowship, it doesn't just care about fuller connection. Because when I've got a connection with you, guess what? Now I start to care about you. When I start to care about you, you've got a need. Guess what I want to do? I want to meet the need. I want, to, I want to see how I can help. I want to be there. I want to be on the spot and say, hey, you need some financial resources. Do you just need another helping hand? Do you just need somebody to pray for you. So Koinonia is not just about a fuller connection. It's about broader compassion. And so what we do is we have ministries that happen in our small groups, in our life groups that don't happen anywhere else. Where your life group maybe do a laundry love event. I've had a, a life group where we'll go to a laundromat and we'll pay for everybody's laundry. You say, why? Because people that go to a laundromat, typically uh, they're in apartments that don't have laundromats. You say, those are typically more run-down apartments, apartments that they don't have the extra resources. So when you pay for somebody's laundry, I thought, man, it'll be like five bucks 
you know, to cover somebody to do all their laundry. No, it's about 20 to $30 to wash all your clothes, and that's about three or four loads. It's not cheap, and I was surprised. We spent $400 in just two hours paying for people's laundry. I didn't think we'd spend that much. I thought, man, I'll bring 20, other people bring some money. No, no, we went through so much, I didn't realize how expensive it was. But the people that we helped pay for their laundry, we didn't wash their clothes. Some were like, you like wash and fold it? No, I'm not touching your clothes. I'll pay for you to touch your clothes, all right? Those are your clothes, all right? People give me a hard time because I won't even share a straw with Jane, okay? I'm just weird like that, a little bit of a germaphobe, okay? And uh, pray for me. But it comes to this broader compassion. So it may be that your life group says, hey, we're going to once a month serve at a soup kitchen. Once a month, we're going to volunteer. Once a month, we're going to go and come to Oak Grove High School, and we're going to say, what do you guys need? We've got about eight to ten people that we can help with reading. We can help with homework. We can clean up. We can do whatever you want, because Koinonia is about broader compassion. It's about saying, Lord, Open my eyes to the needs. Sometimes what happens in the church is people will come up to me and say, Pastor, have you considered this ministry? And I want to remind you something. I'm doing my ministry. I'm fulfilling my calling. My calling is to plant a church to share the gospel. So I'm doing what I'm passionate about, and I'm doing it. I'm mobilizing. But now it's God. If he put the vision inside of you, the desire inside of you, guess what that means? He's calling you to do it. But a lot of times I hear people, and they want to, hey, hey, pastor, how about you do this ministry? And they have a passion for it, but they know their passion's going to end in about two weeks. And then they want to have it out, but they want it to keep going. So they want me because they know I'll try to keep it going. And so instead of doing that and saying, Lord, give me a passion for a ministry, but yet help me to fulfill the ministry. Help me not just to be excited about it and kind of, you know, all pumped up in a moment, but then as soon as the, the, the excitement's up that I'm just kind of over it. No, no, no. I want to be passionate about it because it's about, Quentin is about broader compassion. And I'm moving fast through this. But to have broader compassion, we've got to see the significance in the insignificant. In Acts chapter number 4, it talks about a man by the name of Barnabas. We don't have time to study this man, but the man by the name of Barnabas, he was was key and influential for introducing another guy by the name of Saul to the church. Now, some of you may not know this guy Saul. He changes his name to Paul, and he writes 13 books of the New Testament, takes the gospel to the entire known world in his day. And that was all because of a guy by the name of Barnabas. Everybody else was afraid of Saul, but Barnabas saw, man, this guy has potential, and it was because of Barnabas that we know about a Saul who changed his name to Paul because of another person. Many of you are here today because of the influence of another person. And so never underestimate the influence that you can have on another person. So it takes this broader compassion. You say, you know what, my life group, I'm going to have a compassion for those. So it's helping. It's seeing the potential in those that are otherwise passed over. It's seeing that, you know what, I can, I can care about those. I can make a difference. And lastly, notice this, koinonia is about a deeper commitment. You say, what do you mean a deeper commitment? The church grew and it exploded and they saw growth, but they were committed to this temple courts model. They were committed to their life group. They were committed to that group of, of, of people that they gathered with. They said, hey, I'm committed to this. I'm, I'm going to give and, and be a part of this. It's not just something that I'll just do and know. It's something that I'm going to be committed to. See, this is that deeper commitment. You see, when it came to this unity, they had this unity, but to protect the unity, they had to be committed to it. And so they're committed to this. And in Acts chapter number 5, we don't have time to turn there. There's just so much, so nuanced. There was a couple who weren't for the unity. They weren't for, they weren't committed to this thing. They were committed to their image. And God did something to remind the church that, no, I care deeply about those who are committed to this thing. So when it comes to Koinonia, it's this deeper commitment that I'm committed to one another. 
You see, we understand and we talk about that we're committed to God, but guess what? Let me remind us that God gave us 59 one another's. How do we show God that we're committed to him? By what we do for one another. Herein, Jesus said, is the law fulfilled, that ye love one another. You see, that, that, that's where it's fulfilled. How do we fulfill the law that Jesus gave? Jesus said, hey, you know what? He, he reframed the law, that you should love God and love others. That, that's the new law that God gave. And God wants us to say, hey, if we're committed to that, we've got to love others. So where are you doing that? Where are you demonstrating that? It's really easy to talk about it, but we need to have an environment where we say, you know what? I don't just need people to block and tackle for me. I want to block and tackle for others. You see somebody in the church, you say, hey, I'm praying for you. Can I encourage you? Can I buy you a cup of coffee? Hey, can we meet together? Hey, can we spend some time together? Because I want you to know that I'm going to block and tackle for you. I don't want you to feel alone. I don't want you to feel isolated. I want you to know that, guess what? I'm here with you. Sometimes I, I'm asked to be at those crisis moments where you're there at the hospital and there's hours for this person to live. And the first time I got invited, I always would call a mentor of mine and say, hey, I don't know what to say. And he says, nobody knows what to say. They don't want to hear what you have to say. They just want to know you're there. Because he said, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And sometimes you may think as a life group leader, ah, I'm a life group leader. I don't know that much. You're just showing up. You're just stepping into somebody's life, just saying, hey, I don't have all the answers, but I'm just here. What do you want to do? You want to go golf? You want to watch a movie? You want to clean your house? What do you want to do? I'm just here. And all of a sudden, just you being there, just your presence is a present. Just that alone is a gift that makes a difference. And so we as a church want to be committed to you, but we want you to be committed to this because I know what will happen. Because here's what I know. I know that ideas don't change anything. And I said that. I said ideas don't change anything. I know all kinds of ideas that will help my life. It's the ones that I put into practice that actually end up changing my life. So it's not just the ideas you know. It's the truth that you'll put into practice. And life groups is a way that it's kind of a workshop where you say, hey, I'm working on my anger. I'm working on my finances. Hey, I'm working. I got a men's group. We're going to be talking, going through a book called Point Man. And we're just going to be talking about what it means to be just a godly man, just a good dude. Sometimes when we look at Christianity, we look at men, we kind of think these uh, soft, weak men. But no, what does a, what does a Christ-like man look like? What does godly masculinity look like? And we're going to dive into some of that. And, and, and the women's group is going to be all about dealing with the lies, the combating the lies that sometimes will creep into the life of a woman that Satan, he's been doing ever since Genesis chapter number 3, putting all kinds of lies. And so they're going to deal with that. And each group, one's going to deal with the tech-wise family and how technology is ruining many of our families. The disconnect is because social media is just anti that it's not social it's anti-social it's it, it, it's you in a dark place with a bright screen and you're not really connecting you haven't connected anybody we want to see people connect I was going to uh, ride my horse the other day and I was spending some time so I called the person that boards her for me and I said hey I saw you on the freeway and I was waving like a madman I was gonna honk but you were just you were just in the zone and she said oh I'm I'm sorry I came back because she works for the county and the sheriff because she has several bloodhounds. And she said, whenever there's a missing person, I'm called to the scene. She said, well, we found the young man. He had hung himself in a tree Friday. 
So all day we were just exhausted going through the forest and Santa Cruz Mountains. And he said, you know, I was training this puppy and I was excited this puppy's doing a good job. But then when we came to the clearing and found out here's a man who hung himself and has some uh, little kids and has a wife at home, what would, she just said, what would drive a person to do that? Today we know that depression's on the rise. We know that people are dealing with a lot of mental stress and challenges. It could be that there could be a community that says, hey, guess what? You may feel isolated, but guess what? Call me. Hey, guess what? Let's come over. Let's hang out. Let's do something. I don't want you to walk through that trial, that difficulty alone. I don't want you to just feel isolated. I don't want you to get to that point where you feel like there's no other hope. Now, Koinonia, it's about a fuller connection. It's about a, a, a deeper commitment. And it's about broader compassion. And that's what we're praying will happen through our church. Because, yes, we are growing to be a big church, but we want to grow not just a big church, but I want to grow big people. Big people. There's a difference. You say, what do you mean a big person? A big person that can handle the weight of spiritual leadership that God will put upon you to go and make a difference in your job, to go and make a difference in your family, to go and make a difference in our community that will help change the Silicon Valley. I don't get how we're just okay with what's happening. We can't just be okay with it. We've got to say, God, help me to make a difference. And we're going to surround you with a community that says, yes, let's make a difference together. We believe that the core values of our church is that we don't just exist to make a dent but to make a difference that's why our church will do what it does because we're all about making a difference and it doesn't just take a big church it takes big people who understand koinonia who understand that yes I've got a strong relationship with Jesus but I got a strong relationship with my brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus said this and I'll wrap it up with this Proverbs he said there's a there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother hey you couldn't pick your family but you can pick your friends and you get to pick a life group. And some of them may become your best friends. Now I get it. We're all nervous about walking into somebody else's apartment or house or meeting up at their, some Starbucks. And we're like, we look at, take a look at the group. And you hope they don't notice you and you turn and walk out. Because you're like, no, I wouldn't hang out with them. But I'm really praying that you'll build some strong relationships that will help you to live this out. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.